You are now listening to the Fat Fix Podcast with David Flowers, a show talking about all things fat loss and health for the general population. Helping people understand why they are in the position they're in right now, rather than just focusing on what they need to do. Your no-nonsense personal trainer friend that you can have access to in your pocket whenever you need some help, guidance or just to kick up the arse. Hello and welcome to the Fat Fix Podcast. Been a while since I recorded one of these, but we're back out with episode number 29. I've got a very special guest on the show today. I have Mr. Cave Razak, who's a colleague of mine. I won't ruin the introduction too much, but I'm going to let him tell you who he is and what he does. Hi, so yeah, my name's Cave. Um, quite a simple introduction. I'm a personal trainer here at Form and a colleague of David's. Um, yeah, I've been a personal trainer four years, uh, and in the last year, I've really like tried to excel in my career here at Form with um, Dave as one of my mentors. So yeah, here we are, and I've had the pleasure to be invited on to the Fat Fix podcast. Is this your podcast virginity broken, mate? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so today's chat's gonna it's gonna go in line with basically what I've experienced for the last month. And I don't know if you know, Cave, but I've been to India. I, I don't. Been. Yeah, I don't think no one knows. I don't <laughs> think I've told anyone about it. Kept it quiet. <laughs> but I learned a lot when I was over there in terms of I was looking into people's nutrition, as sad as it sounds. I was looking at what people in India was eating as a culture. And I, I learned a hell of a lot from it. And it was good to just kind of be amongst it myself and actually eat that food myself. And I feel like it's given me more of an insight. I feel like it's, I definitely believe it's given me more kind of tools and knowledge and kind of relatability if I ever do work with not just an Indian client, but Muslim client or anyone, any client in general who, who has a certain diet and what they've grown up with for many, many years and hopefully understand it a little bit better from their perspective rather than just my own and how I eat because it's completely different. So today we're going to be speaking about, in particular, the Muslim diet, Muslim culture, and hopefully a lot of my listeners, I know a lot of my listeners are Muslim, um, I've got quite a big listener following in Dubai, getting big time now, yeah, so I think it'll be really good to kind of share some information on that, coming from yourself, Kate. I don't know if you listen though, but I don't, I'm not Muslim, I don't know if you, yeah, you can tell. Um, so I think it's good coming from yourself who's in that culture, you know a lot more than me about it, yeah. you, you see it more hands-on, you're very heavily involved and it'd be great to kind of share some stories of your, your own, which you, I know you're going to share today and delve deep into that side of things and help people understand that they can still get to where they want to be without drastically changing the nutrition or coming away from the diet that they may have had for many years, nor do they need to. So just before we start, Cave, could you give us a rundown about what's a typical Muslim diet for those that have no idea? What, what does it look like? So yeah, um, the Muslim diet is similar to pretty much a lot of Asian diets in general. Um, a lot of the mother will be cooking a lot of the food and uh, a lot of the food, let's say, is made with a lot of love and um, passion but alongside that love and passion comes a lot of calories um which my mum is obviously she's typical for that but yeah so a diet would tend to be quite um carby um quite oily lots of butter lots of um full fat yogurts 
um, quite a lot more carb to protein ratio. Um, there is vegetables, but that's not the main focus. It's quite just, again, highly caloric, highly palatable, tasty food that, um, you know, it would be made for the sole purpose of tasting nice and to get like, what's the word, feedback, like positive feedback from the person who's consuming it. So yeah, it is quite highly caloric in general. Yeah, well, when you mentioned then, people make this food because they want it to taste good. Yeah. And when food, we want food to taste good, as unfortunate as it is, it's gonna contain a lot of calories to give us that satisfaction. It's gonna be a mixture of all sorts of ingredients. It's gonna have carbs, fats, salt, sugar, combination of all those ingredients to create this tasteful masterpiece, um, which I'm sure your mum doesn't give a shit about your body composition when she's making you and all your family a nice curry. She's not gonna be like doing all, using all these fancy organic ingredients. She's gonna be like, I'm putting together this tasty meal for everybody. And it's important to understand that, isn't it? That they're making it for a taste, but that's also why it can be quite problematic from a fat loss perspective, because you just don't know where the calories are in, in these meals that you are consuming or a lot of Muslims consume, which obviously leads to a lot of health issues. And it'd be good just to kind of touch upon some of the implications of this type of diet long term especially for your family members friends or even clients that you're working with how problematic can it be this diet and how can and obviously we'll give information and examples how we can change it for the better in terms of a fat loss perspective to make people healthier in terms of how much body fat they're carrying get them in a healthier place without and then we'll obviously talk about why people feel they need to kind of kind of rebel against that diet and go against it when that's not realistic long term. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, from being an Asian myself, I'm only quite young, but um, a lot of my uncles and like my dad, aunties, uncles, whatever, from eating that kind of diet throughout their whole lives, as soon as they get to like the age 40, 45, they start developing diabetes, heart diseases, um, blood pressure starts you know, creeping up. Um, but the thing with Asian culture in general is they kind of use just medicine as a way to put like a plaster over it. They don't actually deal with the problem or refuse to see it as a problem that they're eating too much food. Um, and my dad, for example, recently had um, a blood pressure scare that is it's increased and that he has, has to possibly go on statins. Um, and that's due to the fact that over his whole life, he's 50 odd, over his whole life he's had that kind of food, not an idea about caloric intake, um, has had my mum cooking for him ever since they've been married, you know, just day in, day out. And that can, you know, it's, it's part of his habit, it's part of his life. And if I've told him, nope, you can't have any of that anymore, he's going to probably tell me to piss off. And that is where this kind of control and... Um, being open-minded about what kinds of food you're having, but being able to manipulate it depending on your current situation, what you're trying to achieve, comes in handy. No, definitely. You made a good point there. It's 
a lot of the, in terms of, especially for males as well, you know, usually within um, your culture you'll get, I found a lot of clients that I've worked with, obviously the wives will cook for them, the mums will cook for them, and they don't actually have an idea of what's going in yeah. in this food. And like I said, it can become problematic when I'm trying to get them to understand calories or count the calories and see how much they're actually consuming, depending obviously with our goal fundamentally being fat loss. It's quite hard to kind of gauge so what I found over the years is that I've had to use other strategies to help them get to the desired outcome without there being a contrast. And this is where I believe the problem lies, and I'm sure a lot of listeners can resonate with this, is that they think of their diet, so not just being Muslim, but even if there was Italian, even if there was whatever, they think that they need to contra- con- <laughs> completely change their diet to something else. Yeah, yeah. So what they'll do is they'll they'll try and adopt a diet of someone off Instagram, a Fitspot on Instagram, this pretentious middle class nutrition bollocks advice that you get where they've where they've seen somebody say, oh have some avocado, oh have some smoked salmon and lots of green leafy vegetables. And you know, people will be looking at that, watching that, seeing that, and thinking, "Oh, okay, so I, oh, I must have to do that because yeah. she's in shape, and I'm a Muslim, and I'm, I've, you know, I'm a bit overweight. I've gained a few pounds. I've got to do that diet." Yes, will it work? Hundred percent. Of course, it will. Like they'll reduce the calories just by replacing these very calorie dense foods with some leafy vegetables and some pretentious avocado yeah. and life will be better nutrition will be better from a whole it will be deemed more healthy but how long can that muslim client last yeah. following that nutritional information and not just that is it that healthy if it's contradicting other areas of the life if it's holding them back from other areas of the life so yes they might be following this new diet that they've, they've seen somebody do or purchased but they're missing out on the social aspects that your culture brings, all, this, all the events, the occasions, the get-togethers, because I know Wedding. there's shitloads of them all the time. Weddings, that a client, I've got a client of mine where he's literally got family coming around every night bringing food, where I'm like, fucking hell, this is hard work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's important to understand this yeah. and understand that it's hard to come away from. And like I said before, you don't need to come away from it especially when it comes to long term and how we can get people to continue with the current diet that they have, the current diet that they love and manipulate that in a way that they don't lose the mind and they can still get the fat loss. And it would be good to go over some strategies and interventions now, what you've used with yourself, Cave, because I know that you've gone through a transformation when you, you started at the gym and you was coming in, you come to us, you know, you did have the... Asian dad bod, didn't you, when yeah. you started? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> you, you changed things up, but it would be good to go over how you did it, what you did, what do you do after it, and what do you do now with yourself when it comes to maintaining this weight loss that you yeah. achieved, because you got relatively lean. You're still relatively lean now, a year on. And I know for a fact that you've not changed your diet completely to what it probably always has been. Yeah. So yeah, um, it was a good point in the sense that you talked about people having this diet and like they're always opting to look at a you know there's the grass always greener they're always asking themselves that uh in the sense of that you know nutrition and i made a post a few months ago about a person already having a diet and again it's not just asian culture it's any culture 
you will always have a diet that you the same food pools that you enjoy eating that you know you may have a, a different dislike uh, likes and dislikes to me but you'll always eat that so for me it was again um when I went on my transformation that like you were speaking about, mine was a bit more restrictive and I wouldn't necessarily put a client that just wants to lose a few pounds um, on this, but I was a bit more restricted because I wanted to do a photo shoot where I was in front of the camera. I had quite a lot of, I lost about 34 pounds or something, which is quite a lot of weight. It's a lot for you in for your me, size. Yeah, yeah. I'm not the tallest, I'm not the most like biggest person, so losing 34 pounds was quite a lot. So. I needed to be a bit more, like you said, meticulous and a bit more dialed in with my nutrition. But, and that was for 12 weeks and it started to, you know, waver at the end. I was feeling a bit more, you know, I was looking towards my brother eating his, something called dal chow, his lentils and rice. And I wanted that because that's the type of food I've grown up around. So 12 weeks of that was, for me, a bit too long. And I know for a fact, a lot of people would just cave after the first week, first two weeks. So for me, I did the 12 weeks, used my willpower and determination, whatever was necessary. Um, but then afterwards, I decided to then start creating habits that allow me to have these kinds of foods. Um, and I don't know if you want me to go into No, definitely, yeah. mate, share it, yeah. So yeah, so, um, like I know for a fact my mum likes making me this, again, dal chawa, which is lentils um, with loads of rice. And it's just it's basically rice, there's literally no protein involved. Lentils have a bit, but you know. Vegan. Yeah, it's pretty vegan, much vegan. Vegan yeah. <laughs> um, So yeah, so the plate would just be full with um, rice. And that'd be a big plate. And same with my dad, you'd have a big plate. So my strategy for the listeners as well would be just portion control. That's one of the easiest ways, one of the most simplest ways to reduce your total calorie intake without completely changing the food. It's fine if I didn't want to have a protein sauce in that meal for that meal because it's typically made like that. I can't substitute the lentils for a piece of chicken. It changes the meal in general. So all I did was just opt for a smaller plate um, for the rice and had just a bit more lentils. What does that do? It just increases the protein intake, um, reduces the carbohydrates. But that's not to say carbohydrates are bad. It's just I want to be a bit more aware of the total calories of my day while still enjoying that. Um, but yeah, and that's a very simple strategy you can use, just changing the size of your plate or the size of your portions, etc. Yeah, it's, it's massive and it, like you say, it took a lot of willpower and determination. And it is, there is a lot of trade-off when you did that. And I want the listeners to understand as well, like we're not saying, oh, okay, we're not saying never eat a curry again, but we're also as well, I'm not saying that sometimes you shouldn't cut back on that. And especially within your culture, Keith, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, when it comes to meticulously counting calories, if you are trying to dial it in and get lean, yeah. it's very hard to do it with a mum's homemade curry, yeah, which you don't know what's necessarily going in it. So there is a time and a place for that, what feels like more restriction, yeah. and where you feel like you have a trade-off, which you did have a trade-off, because your primary focus of your at that time was your physical transformation your like physical health and what took a back seat was your social health your emotional health all these other things took a little bit of a back seat because that was the number one driver and you only did it for a period of time and this is unfortunately what a lot of people do is they'll they want to change the physical health so all these other factors of health will suffer 
but they'll, they'll have no exit strategy. They won't have built any habits or behaviours to know that they can turn this around without completely going mental and falling off the rails, or they don't know how long to do it for, and, it's, and it is about using strategies and different things. You did it for 12 weeks, which, is, like I said, was long enough. Yeah. Like Any more than that, you would have cracked. Yeah. And you have the sole purpose of getting as lean as you can. Most people don't want to be super lean, nor can they be, like I said, with living that lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. It, it is very hard. I've never met, and it is very hard, and it's probably this from all cultures, if you eat the food culturally that you've been brought up on, it's very hard to say if you eat that all the time that you're going to be absolutely peeled, shredded all year round, all days of the year. But do you really want that? Yeah. Like most people don't. Like most Muslims that I've got in working with me have come in, mate, my health's all over the show. You know, I need to rein it in a little bit. I need to improve my health. Doctors told me I need to start exercising. Doctors told me that I need to start looking into my nutrition, my cholesterol's through the roof, blood pressure's through the roof. Everything's off. Help me. So how can I help them? Easy. There's lots of things I can use. I wouldn't necessarily put them through the 12-week transformation you went through. But I might put them through that for two weeks. Just so they understand the principles of fat loss more so than the method. So I can say, right, this is protein. This is carbs. This is fats. These are your vitamins and minerals. This is fiber. I can understand them. I can teach them a little bit more using that, what we just mentioned before, that pretentious nutrition, (laughs) that middle-class nutrition bollocks. I can actually say for two weeks, I'm going to give you nutritional advice that you know about. And they'll turn around and be like, yeah, yeah, I know this. Because everyone knows this, don't they? They know about what foods deem, which I hate, by the way, good and bad, but they do know the difference in terms of health perspective and what food brings to the table. They know the difference between a chicken tikka masala and some broccoli and kale. They know that that one, the the latter has got less calories. They know it probably brings a more nutritional value. They know that, but how do we get them to a stage of where they, they might do that just for a period of time so they understand about nutrition a lot more rather than the black and white this is good food this is bad food which doesn't exist anyway and it's teaching them like you said about the calories about the food volume what makes them feel full yeah. what doesn't make them feel full what's going to lead them to eat more what's the palatability of foods like all these things if i have two weeks i might just have two weeks of where i'm seeming like i'm being a bit of a dick with a, yeah. with restriction i might be like man i'm going to be harsh on you because Sorry, but you, you need to drop a lot of weight. And I want it quick because I want to buy in from you so you trust me. Yeah. So I might give you this pretentious middle-class nutrition that we've been speaking about. But during that time, I'm going to educate you about all this, about nutrition in general. So you can take it into the Muslim diet, the culture that you've grown up on. That you're for sure not going to give up because it, if you did, it'll contribute to affecting other areas of health. And true health is much more than just food. Yeah. How can we do that? So you've mentioned portion control being being a good tool that you use. You've mentioned even like cutlery yeah. is a good tool to use for portion control. You've 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 done stuff or you spoke about with your with your mum in the past and clients about um portion control uh, sorry not just portion control, food swaps yeah, yeah. and how we approach these mental crazy get togethers that I know a lot of Muslims have kind of experienced with daily like yeah. not just talking weekly yeah. daily someone's coming around with some fucking food right because yeah. that's a big part of the community it's a big part of the culture so 
me as a trainer, I need to understand that yeah. and not give them this. Like I said, this nutrition advice, that's definitely not long-term sustainable for that client. Yeah. I need to be, be have the ability to jump in and out, but most importantly, give them the tools that they can know, yeah, I can eat curries, yeah, I can eat samosas for the rest of my life whilst keeping my weight in check and even lose weight yeah. when I want to. Let's go into a little bit more things about strategies and yeah. things of how you look at it and what you did and what you still do now. Yeah, so um, you've made a good point in the past when you've been speaking to me about it with um, having tools on your tool belt and that's like with any culture but being able to assess a situation and picking out a different tool for that situation and be like, right, there is a wedding dinner or something on tonight but I'm not going to restrict myself and, you know, not eat the food and like be like looked at like you're an idiot for not eating that food that's there on offer. So stuff like um, calorie cycling, so possibly going lower calories um, a few days before, uh, being that pretentious clean eater for three, four days, if you know that on the weekend you're gonna be having quite you know highly caloric, highly palatable foods, just going lower calories throughout the week when you've got a bit of structure, you've got work, you don't have to think too much about the food. Uh, so that when you do approach that wedding day or whatever it is, it can be anything, a birthday party, you can be a bit more lenient on yourself um, and you're still enjoying that food. That's not to say you go and binge and absolutely, you know, balls to the wall and eat everything in sight. Because you'll have been taught, again, like Dave said, for those two, three weeks at the start when you are being a bit restricted, you're learning about the quality of food, you're learning about the portions, when you're looking at a plate itself, how much protein is there? How, many, how much carbs are, are there? How much fat is there? How much vegetables, you know, fruit, etc. Like, you need to start looking at these meals and being able to understand, right, this is gonna keep me full. I'm not gonna want way more food, you know, after this, because I'm gonna be full, I'm gonna be satisfied. It's gonna be a satiety element to the food that I'm consuming. Um, so yeah, that's a perfect tool I've used with clients in the past, just to, pull back their weekly calories so they're not over-consuming day in, day out, day in, day out. Um, but again, if there is something that is like every day there's something on and you can't afford to, um, like there's no days where you have to, where you can go low calories, there's the option of food swaps, which um, I know you're a big fan of and I'm always putting it on my social media about, you know, just swapping out foods with the same, with a good trade-off. Like you're not swapping a piece of chocolate for a piece of broccoli could just go up for like a lower calorie option or um, something that's still tasty, but still, um, you know, within your calories. You're not essentially just having a complete different change. Again, as long as it's within calories, obviously there's a health aspect, but when it comes to fat loss, within calories, you're fine. That's the biggest, yeah, the biggest what a lot of people need to take away and, and, and understand, obviously it's all dependent on that goal of the individual like if you want to get absolutely super shredded you're probably going to have to take more of a restricted approach if your goal is not to be which most people is not everyone that i've meet and continue to meet clients in the gym that is not their goal at all so i can take an approach and teach them all these methods you mentioned about can i use different cycling approaches and we'll get into kind of like fasting protocols because we're going to talk about Ramadan yeah. in general. But how can we kind of set someone up on a day-to-day -day basis that gets them 
closer to where they want to be. So if you know you've got a event and you know auntie's coming around in the evening and she's gonna absolutely come round and go to town with these curries and she's got naan breads bigger than me coming with her. I don't want to necessarily not have that food because I know me. I'd be like, I want to smash that food. But how would I approach it? And this is my mentality towards it. And I say this to a lot of my clients that I've worked with, past and present. I've said, I always teach them how I would approach their diet right now if I was to do it. Which I do do, by the way, you know. Like I said, I've been to India. <laughs> Didn't know that. So I, and, and these are the things about what I would use. So I always, as I say to them, think of me being on your shoulder. You, you know, auntie's coming around brought all this amazing food. How can we approach it? Because we know we can't count the calories. Like I said, auntie doesn't give a shit about your body composition, mate. Mm-hmm. She wants the old family to say, that's bloody good food, yeah, yeah. get a good reputation, cook more and more, because I know they love cooking. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what can I do? So this is how I say to them, so I'm like, right, okay, she's coming around with the food. And I actually, visually, and I hope the listeners can get this, like I, I break it down where it's like a case study and they can actually visually kind of picture it. So I'll say, right, she comes in, she's brought all the food, she's got a buffet of food, shitloads everywhere, curries everywhere, bread everywhere, rice, you name it, samosas. Wow, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> and, I say, and I will say, this is what I would do. I'd sit down and I'd go, right, first bit on my plate is a protein serving. And the reason being is that I'm lifting weights, I want the benefits from protein, I want the satiety protein brings, and let's face it, it's a good part of the meals. Like, I, don't, you know, I hate it when I get a curry and I've got two pieces of chicken in it. <laughs> It's the worst nightmare. I'm like, seriously, mate. Like, I'm gonna wither away. Anyway, so I'll pick out my chicken because I'm. I'll be like, right, protein's done on my plate. And what I've also done is, is then looked at it and go, I've also got limited sauce, but I also know there's fats in that sauce for sure because it tastes amazing. And no chicken that tastes good. It's not got anything else. Uh, Plant chicken tastes hanging. So I'll look at it. Bit of sauce. I've probably got a bit of fats in there, but mostly protein. Then I'll look at my carbohydrate sauce. And this is if I'm trying to lose fat, by the way, like, which I'm never on. <laughs> I'm always trying to gain. I've been trying to gain since like 19, 21. <laughs> but I'll look at it and I'll say, right, I'm going to put some rice on that plate. Yeah. Am I going to add naan bread? Nah, I'm not because my carbs are covered. I've got protein for my chicken. I've got my carbs and I'm going to have some veggies to that, yeah. whatever that may be. So I'm going to look at limiting my sauce. Do I need rice do i need bread do i need samosas do i need all these extra calories or do i just look at my plate like that and that's how i kind of say to people that's how you should look at your meals and then anything that's added on top of that is just an add-on so if you do go a little bit ott with your calories and you have your rice but you have some naan bread we could look at it and go in fact do i need the naan bread could i just have a roti you know or japati whatever so it's probably a little bit less calories than the naan or if I do have the naan, do I need the full naan? Could I have half the naan? Oh, yeah. Or do, if I do have the naan and I do have the rice, do I look back and think, right, okay, in my next meal, because auntie's gone, mum's in, yeah. she's done the exactly same as yeah. my auntie, she's got good food, how do I approach that? And I approach it in exactly the same way, but I have the mentality of, all right, I had some naan, before I had some bit too much rice maybe, I'll pull back on that, but I'll keep the same skeleton of that nutrition with everything that I do. And that's how I, how I personally break it down to people to show them you can still eat what you want. Yeah. 
And then obviously they're going to monitor scale weight if they're trying to lose weight, monitor how they're feeling. And it, it, they actually get a better understanding of food in general without the feeling of feeling restricted where they, they go to the a night with a family and they sat there eating out of Tupperware boxes. And they might be eating this healthy food, but they're not being healthy because they're missing out on having a laugh and having this good food with the family, which to be honest, they does more for people's health these days anyway than what food probably brings to the table because we you know we're not going to be suffering with a famine coming up we're not going to be starving like the likelihood is we are hitting our macronutrients and stuff like that albeit whether it's good or bad food whatever we're still we're in a safe place right So that, that's kind of how I approach it without waffling on, mate. I yeah, know that I brought you on the show. That's a good point. Thinking, like but that. That, that, that's how I, how I kind of deal with, deal with it yeah. from certain scenarios. Have you got anything else to add on that in terms of what we've just gone over? Yeah, I think that's it's a great point, um, especially with the whole... Again, we, you spoke about it, but health isn't just physical. It is um, the mental part of the whole situation when you are going out with family with friends whoever you go out with them if you're sat there and being a bit of like a debbie downer where you're just upset and just down and a bit starving because you've been eating you know your kale and your broccoli or whatever all morning that's gonna like you said do you know more damage than it is to do good um again your goal for a lot of people isn't to get super lean it's just to lose a bit of bit of fat a bit a few more pounds so that they fit in a dress or they just feel a bit more comfortable in their own skin um and it doesn't have to be like instagram's always like trying to shove this whole militant oh you have to be on point with every last nutrient left right and center and it's just like that's not how it works i've done it in the past i've got clients all of which are eating the same amount of food uh, same types of food that they've enjoyed the whole life and i've lost stone within you know a month which is awesome so yeah that mental health and understanding that you can consume these foods um with just you know within reason and like taking a step back and having a coach or you know david on his client's shoulder making decisions and being aware of it is going to do more for you in the long run um than restricting yourself restricted definitely and i, I think that's why I, we mentioned before when I said with me being away and stuff and experiencing this food is I obviously very much got involved in eating that I'm not going to go on holiday and be an absolute boring ball bag PT yeah. and be like I'm not having any gluten from that Indian street food yeah. in, um, you know, in Mumbai you know, I'm far too pretentious for that yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely like I'm going to get involved and I got involved and obviously give or take I'm not going to go into too much detail and make everyone feel sick I did lose a lot of weight. Bear in mind, I was shitting myself for a lot of part of being yeah. in India. But I reckon I, I still would have lost a lot of weight anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's because I was still eating all this Asian food. Yeah. But I was having an awareness. And I, and I think it's just habitually as well. I was picking stuff better. Yeah. So I was like making sure that I have a protein sauce. Yeah. And I was kind of just habitually, naturally doing it. And even my sauce, I remember finishing meals and my loads of sauce was still there. Yeah. And that's probably something that I've ingrained, but people think, because they've got that in the sauce, so you've got a chicken tikka masala, yeah. they need to put all that sauce on. I didn't need to put all that sauce oh, on at all. Like, it still flavor. tastes good. Yeah. I'm not depriving myself. And I naturally kind of did that as a byproduct. And I shown 
that I could go there and maintain, I definitely would have maintained body weight, yeah. give or take, I had the crap and the shits. Um, but I could have maintained it, obviously I was highly active. Yeah. But I also seen a lot of people there as well. Funnily enough, I didn't see much, didn't look like there was a lot of obese people when I was actually there. I didn't, yeah. There's not as much as in the UK. And whether that, obviously there's a poverty thing coming in, it's a different story in itself. But I think it was just the, the accessibility to kind of, the different environment and and portion control as well like people don't eat massive massive meals from what I observed anyway over there because like I said it's probably mostly a poverty thing but we've got to also take that into consideration when giving people nutrition advice as well if we're giving this pretentious nutrition like I keep going on about it costs a fortune to eat like that but it doesn't cost a fortune to have rice have bread make a samosa you know, go to cash and carry like you mentioned before. Get some meats. It's it's actually not as expensive as it is if we're buying all this grass fed fucking beef and all this organic eggs and all that stuff. It costs a lot, and a lot of people can't afford that. So that's another thing in itself, which is a podcast in itself, talking about all these barriers to getting people to a healthier body weight and maintain it for the rest of the life that doesn't affect like i said these other areas of health because yeah. there's so many more than just to do with food we're going to go into ramadan yeah ramadan's coming up um when when is it i think it's april, april. i think april. yeah april um it'd be great to go over that because that's going to kind of link into kind of the strategies that we spoke about we've yeah. covered loads of a little bit of in detail about what strategies you can use yeah. obviously i've got other podcasts where i go more into dietary st- strategies and interventions yeah. so the listeners can jump into that but i wanted to keep it very specific to um muslim culture yeah. ramadan's coming up what are some of the misconceptions with Ramadan that you found that people have from a nutritional perspective? What, what do they think is going to happen or what, what did he do wrong or how can they approach it differently? So, um, go into Ramadan yeah, first as well. Ramadan, to our non-Muslim listeners, are, is a month where Muslims um, go on sort of like a spiritual journey over the month, um, trying to refrain from, you know, these worldly possessions and stuff that humans... Um, live off food, water. Um, we just need to refrain from that with it from sunrise till sunset, uh, and we you know take part in a lot of pra- prayers and praying, etc. So um, that's basically the gist of Ramadan. It's quite a, it's just a spiritual month, but um, when it comes to nutrition, for some reason people seem to think it's like a just a different like you're in a different world, and calories and energy balance just doesn't matter. It doesn't count for for some people. <laughs> Um, and there's that misconception where like people will be fasting it depends obviously on the times but I feel in April it's going to be quite shorter the more later on in the year you go towards summer obviously the days are longer so you're fasting for longer I think it'll be a lot shorter than last year by like an hour or so so people will be fasting for what 12 hours whatever however long that uh, depending on the month Um, and then we'll feel that their body's absolutely starving so they'll get to the the time where they'll need to break the fast and absolutely binge like just consume as much calories as they can in such a short period of time without again that without that mindfulness of what they are consuming it's just going to be highly caloric highly palatable food uh mum and auntie's cooked um and then they're just going to sit down and do naff all all day because they feel you know grim because they've eaten so much rubbish 
So, yeah, um, being able to actually offer some advice on what to actually do when, that, when Ramadan comes will be helpful. Yeah, I, th- I think you, you mentioned there, it's kind of like people think it's a completely different world. Yeah. When in theory, Ramadan is just switching up people's usual eating behaviours and eating patterns of routines is that in the day, you're pretty much not eating. Because yeah. usually you would. Yeah. In the evening when you're obviously asleep, you're not eating. And obviously during Ramadan, you have to get up certain points of the, before sunrise to actually eat. And obviously breaking fast when it starts, when the sun goes down, so is it iftar? Iftar, iftar, iftar yeah. yeah. Um, that's when you break fast. And it's, it's the, a lot of people have this, they, they believe that, like you said, the body then completely changes, like yeah. shit hits the fan, like, oh my God, I'm starving, oh my God, my blood sugar's, oh my God, I'm going to die. Yeah. And during that window, we, what you mentioned, 12 hours, yeah. it's pretty much nothing. And there's a lot of research into this that, there's a lot of research in Ramadan as itself and there's a lot of research into saying that this is not the case whatsoever you know you're not going to blood sugars are not going to be completely out of whack you're not going to go crazy you know people then talk about cortisol and all these things like the life's going to end world's going to end and it's going back to kind of there is that you're reading a book at the moment The Hungry Brain it's going back to like the hunter-gatherer times we didn't know when we was getting our next next meal so it's it's blown out of proportion so much so then people have the mentality to approach iftar yeah. with oh my god you know babies out of the bath water i'm going mental floodgates are open and they, they lose touch with what they've been doing yeah. for months leading up to um, ramadan and it's like approach it the exact same way yeah. auntie comes around iftar goes ham on the food yeah, yeah, yeah. approach it exactly the same way i would say definitely probably Maybe get a few extra calories, yeah. load up on your water, get your protein serving massive, especially if you are lifting weights yeah. still during Ramadan, which I recommend more than I do any cardiovascular work during Ramadan. And we'll go into some training stuff anyway, but I definitely recommend that. The, the, the skeleton remains the same just yeah. because it's Ramadan. Things shouldn't completely drastically change where it's like iftar, break your fast, Break your fast with dates, yeah. the most highly caloric fruit in the world. Yeah, yeah. Do you need to have 20 dates? No. Nope. Or could you have one? That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? That's a big one, isn't, isn't it? it? And it's, it's coming back to the point of, um, I think you, you obviously had Eric Helms on your podcast speaking about the default diet. Um, and like, we'd love to do this at form where we actually create a diet if you've not listened to that. Yeah, Do you listen to that? Um, if you're a listener and not listening. But yeah, like we create this default that people have consumed and that over their life and when it comes to Ramadan people then change that default like they start including different foods that then which is fine but try not to stray away from what you used to those habits and stuff obviously it's going to take a bit of getting used to considering you've been eating like normal like you said on the other end of the spectrum throughout the whole year but once those habits are in place you don't need to start including these foods that you don't know about. Just eat the exact same, nothing changes. Again, it's not a different world. You're living in the same body, in the same house, nothing's changed. It's just the time limits you have to eat. Um, so yeah, simple. Yeah, no, it's, it's true, it's, it's feeling like, and it's same when people go on holiday, they feel like they have to kind of rebel against the process. Yeah, yeah. Because it's Ramadan now, what are you gonna have? 100 dates before you have your main meal? Do you really need to have 100 dates before your main meal? 
could you break fast with just one date and have a normal then normal meal that's going to actually serve you some purpose in terms of satiety feeling full feeling satisfied listening to your internal hunger cues a little bit better and then also obviously like i say if you're still training to filter the performance in the gym the best you can once you've absolutely got limited food coming in could you just approach it that way rather than you know i'm gonna break fast now with it i'm gonna have all my dates i'm gonna have a burger i'm gonna have cheesecake i'm gonna have cake but like come on like let's start looking back at your goal what you're trying to achieve it and a lot of the studies within this, a lot of people do lose weight over around. But I've actually met people that have gained a lot of weight as well because they approach it in this kind of way, this other diet way. Yeah. But in theory, a lot of people should be starting being a bit more aware of the caloric intake a bit more over Ramadan. Yeah, yeah. And usually when you have become a period of time where you have fasted, you start to become used to being in a fasted yeah. state. I've found a lot of it. I could potentially easily do it, I think. Yeah. I'd struggle more so with the water yeah. and I'd struggle more so with the um, the training component. Yeah. I think that would be my biggest struggle. But if I didn't train, and I'm, it's better in Man- living in Manchester doing Ramadan than when I was in Dubai when yeah, I see yeah. people doing Ramadan in 50 degrees. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That is tough. So it, it, it's kind of looking at like, looking at it that way, you've still got a caloric allowance. Yeah. So whatever calories you're, you've been set, whatever calories you've inputted into a, a a sheet that's give you spat you out some numbers yeah. use that still as your you, nothing changes energy balance doesn't change because it's ramadan now you just put them calories into a short window yes it's a pain in the ass because you've got to get up earlier yeah. you, you've got to disturb sleep and that's usually where most of the research is looking into is like probably the biggest impact that ramadan has yeah. is on sleep yeah. and um a lot of people have been speaking about like chrono nutrition yeah, haven't they? Yeah. more recently so looking into circadian rhythm when you're eating and stuff so that seems to be the biggest kind of potential problem with yeah. Ramadan which it's expected yeah. you know you know we shouldn't be when we're sleeping we should be rest and digest yeah, yeah. we shouldn't really be eating during that time but hey that's what it is that's what how do we how do we overcome that in the best way we can but still be in line with our goals yeah approach it exactly the same you're basically just doing an intermittent fast that's it you've got an eating window and i do a lot of eating windows with clients anyway people that don't like breakfast people that like most of the food later in the day people that like most of the food earlier in the day whatever i kind of just be like what suits you what's more realistic what's going to make you more adherent ramadan's no different it's exactly the same we've got an eating window from sunset to sunrise just before so you, you might have a what a six eight hour six to eight hour window whatever yeah, around, like, that, yeah. around that window before obviously depending on where you are in the world we're going to put your calories into that window and what i would definitely say in terms of a hydration standpoint load up on your water yeah. especially before you start to go back onto your fast when yeah. sunrise you might be pissing for two hours yeah. load up on your water though so much so that it has a bit of a hopefully a better impact from a hydration perspective yeah. and again Am I having protein? Am I having vegetables? Am I having enough fiber? Am I going back to the basics of what we tell clients all the time? Are you having enough food volume that's gonna serve you more of a purpose throughout the whole of your fast rather than having too many dates and sweets or chocolate that's gonna serve you no purpose in terms of satiety. It's only just gonna fix what you're psychologically thinking about being deprived when 
you're not really being deprived, you know what I mean? There's people worse off in the world that genuinely... And like I said, I quite like that aspect of doing it for yeah. the purpose of realising how bloody lucky we have it. And we can just, you know, we could just nip to the shop now, mate, couldn't we, and just get 2,000 calories like that. Exactly. Some people in the world, they've got to work hard for yeah. that to get that. So nothing changes. Yeah. I think that we both pretty much agree on that. In terms of the training perspective, like I said before, mate, where, where's your head at before we wrap this one up with, like, Ramadan and, and if you've got any more to add with nutrition and training, what should people be doing? Uh, so with training, again, the goal... I'd say is to try, like with anything really, try and maintain your muscle mass. And that's where you brought in that protein sources are going to be imperative, like it's essential when it comes to Ramadan. Um, training, keep it quite, you know, you're still trying to maintain and hold on to your strength. You're not going to be, you know, getting personal bests in the gym just because the calories just aren't going to be there. You're going to be sleep deprived a little bit as well. Um, so don't think that you're going to be breaking any world records over that period. Just try get in the gym. And again, like you said before, cardio probably not the best bet. Um, try just weight train. Um, that's also for females out there. You know, that's probably your best bet when it yeah, comes to... Yeah, minimum effective dolls yeah. really in the gym. And like I say, you're not going to... And lads, you're not going to build any muscle over Ramadan. Yeah. But don't even, don't even let that be the goal. Yeah. And that's sometimes, again, not just using Ramadan, but why it's so important to kind of have different time frames to do certain things like you did to get lean for your photo shoot as a time frame yeah. and then you, you moved on to a different you know you have like these micro cycles and meso cycles yeah. of what you're trying to actually achieve use ramadan as a place where you recover yeah. so you can use ramadan say if you have been going on this pretentious nutrition hunt use ramadan as a place where you ingrain these skills that me and Kefa spoke about today get psychologically back in the groove yeah. Take a bit of a rest with your excessive training that you might have been putting yourself through, lots of cardio, um, reduce your training volume a little bit, so instead of going to the gym five days a week, maybe just pull it down to three. Just look at maintaining rather than look at always trying to get better and better because it'll serve you a good purpose when Ramadan's over. You'll come yeah. back after Ramadan, you're like, ah, oh, I've had a bit of a, feels like a bit of a diet break. Psychological feel refreshed, you'll be recovered yeah. a bit more. And even though that you've had poor sleep, but you'll be recovered more, you'll feel less fatigue, yeah. your fatigue's kind of come down, and then your desire to then probably maybe go into another phase of trying to lose body fat, yeah, yeah. you'll be in a much better position to, to go at it. So use Ramadan as like a, a positive yeah. in, in terms of, as, as, which it should be in general, yeah. from a religion standpoint, as a positive, but don't bring it down with the nutrition. It doesn't mean you have to go off the rails yeah. It just means we need to understand how we can use it to benefit us in all aspects of our health to get closer. I think, um, like I always say this with clients, and I've used again an Instagram post about that dimmer switch that we always speak about. So, um, like uh, uh, rather than just everything being on and off, um, like whether it is Ramadan or a holiday, people like to just switch off and stop, you know, utilizing those habits that they've had over the last six months. Um, and they just turn it off and stop doing what they were doing rather than that actually dim that switch down come to Ramadan like Dave says go from five sessions of training a week to three Um, keep an eye on your nutrition again just being aware being mindful still using those habits that you've had for the rest of the year for the last 11 months it's only one month you know you don't want to derail your whole efforts just from a month and um, 
start you just yeah rather than just being on and off and like thinking oh it's Ramadan I'm just gonna binge not sleep I'm gonna you know throw my habits out of the window that's not gonna benefit you in the long run again I know Ramadan is a religious it's a religious thing and um, we try to get away from the worldly possessions etc so use it as a month to you know be a bit more reflecting and stuff like that about how your life is and it will benefit you mentally as well as physically I believe in yeah, use it, use it as well how it's supposed to. Supposed to be, yeah. You mentioned about using it for, like I said, realise how lucky we are. If you're absolutely binging, yeah. <laughs> you're kind of contradicting <laughs> yeah, exactly. that theory and be like, you're actually now eating more yeah, calories than you do on a normal day. Yeah, so yeah. in theory, yeah, so feel bad from a religious standpoint, mate, you're not eating as many calories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, that's kind of the best way to kind of like approach this big picture and just kind of understand and actually learn how to eat so many people don't know how, they don't know how to eat they, exactly. they, they need to develop a nutritional knowledge at least enough to get them through yeah. and then they'll realize that life doesn't have to be one big diet you can dip in and out of when you're doing things yeah. you know and to, to kind of summarize what we've gone over today it's like you can still have this muslim diet you can still be heavily involved in all the social aspects that come along with it but you can manipulate things in your way and use all these strategies all these tools on your tool belt depending on what you want to do when you want to do it to get you to where you want to be you're going to monitor you you can monitor your scale weight if weight's not budging down maybe we need to manipulate our nutrition pull out more calories pull out more ingredients from some of the foods you're eating food swap portion control Think of me and Kate on your shoulder, looking at you when you're at that massive auntie's meal. What would we do in terms of fat loss? What would we do? And I think that is probably everything that I can give today without going into too much of a tangent. But I, hopefully a lot of people will understand and take away from this. And not just Muslims. Yeah, yeah. This applies to everybody, by the way, doesn't it? Yeah. It's just, I'd say the same to everybody's diet. People who've just got a traditional diet of crisps and can of coke in the lunch and exactly. evening meal is a spag ball yeah. whatever like yeah. it is we can manipulate that in exactly the same way yeah. and it, at the end of the day we're all human beings we shouldn't all have this different view on nutrition as such as in what's good what's bad what's frowned upon what's not yeah. what's this and what's that like we should all be singing from the same hymn sheet and we all eat accordingly to what we enjoy yeah and our culture while still keeping intact everything else because that's the true health in a nutshell. Thanks for coming on, Kate. It's my pleasure, mate. And I hope you all enjoyed it and I'll see you very soon for the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Fat Fix podcast and I hope you all enjoyed today's show. If you have not already, please make sure you subscribe and you don't miss out on any future episodes. I also can't stress enough how much it means to me to those that have left me a star rating and written review on iTunes. This will ultimately help me reach more people like you and really help them too. So please give me two minutes of your time to do this if you haven't already. Lastly, any shares and mentions on social media is also massively appreciated. I will see you very soon for the next episode. Thank you very much.